If you have your Bibles, please open up with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue on in our sermon series as we read through Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5. And we name this sermon series, Jesus Loves You More Than the Rules, so that the truth of the passage and the bottom line of Jesus' teachings would not be obscured, but that all throughout the sermon, as we talk about the rules, you would remember the whole point of talking about the rules of God is that Jesus loves you more than the rules. That is the message of Christianity. Today we're going to be looking at Jesus' teachings. We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 31. And Jesus talks about the rules all through Matthew chapter 5. He tells us why, starting in verse 17, which we'll touch base on later. But throughout the whole passage, after he tells us why he's talking about the rules, he talks about the rules in a way which nobody had spoken about them before. Jesus talks about how excellent the rules are, he talks about the rules for three reasons. One, he reveals that the rules are good. They're what it means to be loving. A few chapters later, people come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, what's the most important rule that we follow? Out of all the commands, because there's a lot of them, like what's the most important one? And Jesus says, all of the commands actually boil down to one thing, which is love. The first commandment is love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all of the law and the prophets or all of the commandments essentially hang on these two principles or this one principle of love. And so as you read through the Bible and you read these commandments, this is what love looks like. This is what it looks like to have godly love. If we had godly love in our heart, he wouldn't have needed to give us this. We would just do these things naturally. But we don't. And so he needs to reveal it to us what love actually is. We tend to reinvent God in our own image and therefore say, this is godly and that is godly, and turns out everything we do is godly. And the Lord tells us, no, your heart is darkness. As we sang this morning, he brings light to that darkness and teaches us what love actually is. And so Jesus teaches that the rules are good. In fact, the rules are better than we ever imagined. The rules are what it means to have godly love. And a lot of times we think of a God of love and we think a God of love wouldn't enforce the rules. A God of love wouldn't care about the rules. And interestingly enough, if we believe in a God who's gotten rid of the rules, we also believe in a God who does not love. Because how can a God be loving and see people not loving each other? How can a God be loving towards you and not be upset when people hurt you? How can God be a God of love but be fine if people treat you with hate and evil? And so we can't get rid of the rules. In fact, Jesus teaches us the rules are better than we ever imagined. The rules are what it means to have godly love. The next reason why Jesus talks about the rules is he reveals to us that none of us have that kind of love for each other. Throughout this whole passage, Jesus takes conventional wisdom of the Old Testament, and many people think the God of the Old Testament is strict. Well, wait till you hear it. Jesus, he says that Old Testament law that you thought was loving, you thought you were following God by following that Old Testament law, that was just the beginning. To actually have God's love in your heart, you've got to go way above and beyond what you thought. You've got to go way above that Old Testament command. And you thought godly love was here? It's actually here. And it reveals that none of us have kept that kind of love, that all of us are in need of a Savior, that every one of us has broken God's rules. 
And then Jesus talks about the rules because the final point, the culmination of all this teaching, the reason why, is because as good as the rules are, as perfect as they are, as godly as they are, as much as they reflect God's wisdom and God's love and are so important to follow, as much as you were made for that kind of love and everybody around you was made for that kind of love, when we break that and don't treat people that way, as serious as that is, God loves us even more. When we break God's rules... God does not make that the end of the story. We've all broken God's rules. That's not the end of the story. The end of the story is that Jesus loves us more than the rules that we've broken, and he pursues us because he wants our salvation, and he's willing to die on the cross for our sins and rise from the grave for eternal life so that we can be saved. When we break God's rules, he doesn't go, my precious rules! So he says, my precious people. And so Jesus teaches about the rules to teach us about his love above all. If we get rid of the rules, we get rid of his love. If we understand how fantastic the rules are, then we begin to understand the measure and the depth of God's love for us. And I've been reading through this passage, the first two teachings that Jesus taught as he begins this section are both internal sins, and as he teaches on those internal sins, he warns all of us who have come to church and felt that you can't see our sins, the people around me can't see my sins, I've kept them inside, and I look down on those who haven't been able to keep those sins internal in their hearts, but express them outwardly. Jesus talks about two internal sins and warns us against that hypocrisy of looking down on people who have sinned outwardly and visibly because he says we're no better than them. He says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder, but I say, you thought godly love was that? Actually, if you want to really have godly love, you've got to go way beyond murder. If you've ever looked at someone with hate in your heart, which we all have, you are just as liable of God's judgment on murder. And therefore, you have no reason to look down on anyone. The same hate that's in the heart of a murderer, that's in you. And then the next passage that he talks about is lust. He says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. You think you were treating your spouse well by not committing a physical act of adultery. But I say to you, if you've even, you thought godly love was here, it's actually, this is how much God loves us. If you even look at someone who's not your spouse, with desire for them in your heart. You've got the same lust in your heart that an adulterer has, and you're worthy of God's judgment against adultery. And so you have no reason to look down on anyone. You're just as in need of a savior as everyone else. And today we're going to be talking about not an internal sin. Jesus talks about one that's visible, one that we can measure, one that's not hidden. And he's going to talk about divorce. And if you're here today and you're divorced... I thank God that you're here. Because even though Jesus warns the churchy type people who have managed to keep their sins internal and can show up and say, nobody knows about any of the things that I've done. Look at me. I feel comfortable in the Lord's presence because I think I'm righteous. Even though he warns against that, because we're so sinful, we do the exact thing that he warns against. 
and we're hypocrites. And thank God that Jesus loves all of us more than the rules. Not a single one of us has shown godly love to other people in our hearts. And we all have an opportunity to hear God's word and repent of our sin and receive his love for us. If our sins are internal, if we don't feel like anybody has seen them, we have the opportunity to repent of the hypocrisy and pride that we feel and the judgment that we put on other people who are, have committed visible sins. We can repent on driving people away from the grace of God, which he wants to give them so much. And we can receive God's grace for us that he wants to give us so much. Because even though we've broken his rules of loving other people, Jesus loves you more. And for divorce today, we're going to read Jesus' teaching on divorce. And visible sins often lead people in one of two directions. To double down on defending their sin and say, no, Lord, no people, no church, no God. I have no sin. I disagree. I refuse to repent. And people harden their hearts against the Lord. Or they grow in humility in a way which is so much harder for people who are hypocritical and have managed to keep their sins on the inside and have never been challenged to come to that type of humble repentance. And so if we've committed visible sins, we have the opportunity to grow spiritually, grow in humility, repent of it, and receive the Lord's forgiveness. And we all have the opportunity this morning to do that. And that's what Jesus wants. Because Jesus loves us more than the rules that we've broken. And let's begin reading in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. And Jesus says, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And Jesus starts with the conventional wisdom that people were used to. Again, as we read through this passage in verse 21, in verse 27, 31, 33, 38, 43, Jesus does the same thing. You've heard it said this. I reveal to you that godly love is this. You thought it was godly love. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, godly love looks like something different. And divorce in the Jewish culture was, interestingly enough, very similar to divorce today. Marriage in the Jewish culture was very similar to marriage today because people are people. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, it talks about divorce. It doesn't prescribe divorce as a remedy to a bad situation, but it describes a divorce and what to do in the case of a divorce. And we're not going to get into that deeply because that is a long sermon for another time. But Deuteronomy 24, the Lord tells Moses, win a man. And he describes what to do when this happens. When this happens, when a man takes a wife, marries her, if she, if he, if she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of a divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house and, and the next two verses say, now here's what we do in that situation. So the Lord never prescribed divorce as a solution to a difficult situation Instead, the Lord described what we should do when people respond to difficult situations 
with divorce. And because the culture confused a description with a prescription, the Jewish culture got very comfortable with divorce, much like the American culture has. Now, there were people who were in terrible situations who got divorced. And just like in our culture, there's people who got divorced for situations which were very, very silly. There was a rabbi named Hillel which permitted divorce if a wife had spoiled a meal. There was a rabbi named Akiba who permitted a divorce if a more beautiful woman became available. And so just like in our culture, there's a lot of reasons why people want out of the commitment they've made. Some of them in really, really difficult situations. Other ones simply for their own complete blindness and selfishness. And Jesus, as he's teaching on divorce, addresses people just like us. And here's what he says. You've heard it said, you thought godly love was this. Here's what godly love actually is. You thought it was here, but I say to you that every one who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And Jesus reveals that God's love, if we're going to reflect God's love, that commitment, that faithfulness that is required is beyond what any of us thought. And that brings up a lot of questions. You might be sitting here today, and your marriage today might be the source of the greatest suffering that you've ever experienced in your life. And if you've gone through a divorce, you certainly know the suffering, the pain that marriage can cause. And the people that Jesus is speaking to, is, they're just like you. And they hear this teaching, and they say, but Lord, how can you mean that? How does that make sense? This is what, this is what you ask us to do to be sinless? I've got questions. You've got questions. If you've been in a difficult situation, the Lord does not prescribe divorce as a solution in that situation, but it also doesn't prescribe that you need to just continue to go into that situation day after day, year after year, taking that kind of abuse. Throughout history, the church has legitimately made some mistakes. You can go online and read the blogs of people who've been hurt by the church and hear their pain and hear their bitterness. Many people have stories of coming to the pastor and saying, I'm in an abusive situation, I'm in danger. And having the pastor say, the Lord says that the prescription for the situation is not divorce, you need to go back into that situation. And that's certainly not what the Lord would say. Divorce, as we're going to read, is a sin. But in a marriage, most of the other things that happen in a marriage is sin as well. And none of that pain and evil is according to God's will either. It's not God's will for us to respond with divorce, but it's also not God's will for us to respond with unending sin. 
And if you're in a situation that's unhealthy, you need to get help. If you're not safe, you need to get help. If you're mentally or emotionally broken, you have to get help. And if you need help, let us know. And our church would love to help you. And people hear that divorce is not the prescription for this situation. And they think about the pain they're going through, as you might be thinking today. And you think, I can't do this. I've been hoping to get out. Or how I dealt with it was I had to get out. And you think that the only alternative is to stay in it. If you're in a situation where you need to get help, we get you to a situation where you're safe, where you can recover. And then we encourage you to do your very best with your whole heart to remain faithful to the commitment that you made to your spouse, waiting for the situation to improve, waiting for the person to repent, waiting for change to happen. And here the people hear that. But their pain is so prominent in their minds that they think he couldn't have possibly meant this. They've got questions. And throughout history, the church has had questions. The church hasn't always responded that way, especially in the last few decades and century. The church has responded with, we don't know what to do. Jesus, you sure, when you said everyone, did you, did you know about this couple? Lord, did you hear what that wife did to her husband? Lord, did you hear what that man did to his wife? Did you hear about the Johnsons? Did you, did you know the pain that they're, he must not have meant everyone, Lord. And they reinterpret Jesus' teachings. And Jesus actually warns against that in this exact passage. As Jesus says, you thought godly love was here, and I tell you it's here. If anybody tells you it's back here, that person will be least in the kingdom of heaven. Don't relax my rules. Don't relax what it means to have godly love. I've come to shed light on the darkness. I've come to tell you that it is up here. And if any pastor says, no, it's back down here, that pastor has failed you. If I tell you, if I can't look you in the eye and say that godly love is up here, then I failed you. And churches fail God in that way. And Jesus calls it out right in this passage. And churches also fail the other way. If you read, I think it's Matthew chapter... I gotta look. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 20. Oh, I can't remember now. But throughout the, the scripture, Jesus constantly is challenging the Pharisees who add strictness to God's rules as well. And so we fail God by relaxing his rules. But then church throughout history has also failed by making his rules too strict. And oftentimes churches have treated divorce like it's an unforgivable sin. And the Bible tells us about the only unforgivable sin. It's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. And it's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And it's not divorce. 
The cross of Christ is more powerful than any sin. And turns out the only unforgivable sin is when we look at the sacrifice of Jesus towards us and we say, I don't need it. I won't humble myself. I won't repent. I don't want it. Go away. The Lord pursues us with his love through the Holy Spirit on the cross and the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to say, no, thank you. And in that case, that's the unforgivable sin. In that case, we'll be receiving God's judgment on our sin. But if we repent of our sin, there's not a single sin that's too strong for the cross of Jesus Christ. God's forgiveness is so powerful that it's good news for everybody who will repent. And why talk about this today? Why revisit this? Why does Jesus teach this way? Because he loves us more. And he wants deeper reconciliation with every one of us. He wants every one of us to come to greater repentance. One of my favorite pastors, his name is Tim Keller, preached a sermon, how you need to repent of everything, even the way you repent. And he's right. There's self-righteousness even in my repentance. And Jesus talks about it because he wants to reconcile with us. He wants us to know his love for us deeper. And so the people hear Jesus' teachings and they have questions. They say, you couldn't have meant what you said. Nobody can show that kind of love. Nobody can show that kind of sacrifice. If I was in that person's situation, I'd be divorced too. Did you, did you know about them? You could have met everyone, Jesus, because I couldn't have gone through. I wouldn't have done that. If my spouse did that to me, I wouldn't be there. You surely couldn't have meant it. And so they go to Jesus again in Matthew chapter 19. If you'd like to turn with me to Matthew chapter 19, verse 1. It says, now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? They've heard Jesus' teachings and the Pharisees are not on his side. They're always trying to trip him up. They're always trying to keep people from following Jesus. They're always trying to say, look at this guy. He teaches this way. It's wrong, see? And they catch on to this and like, oh, we got him now. There's a large crowd. Imagine all the people in that large crowd that are going through difficult situations, all type of mistreatment, all type of marital sin. There's a large crowd there. We have a small crowd here. And I'm guessing here we've got covered all of the possible sins that can happen in a marriage. And the Lord, they're trying to trip him up. Once they hear what he taught, they're going to say, this guy, he's way off base. Let's catch him. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And there's two ways that people try to interpret this. Because people have a hard time with Jesus' teachings, they take any cause to mean like any little cause. Like the big ones are okay, but is it okay to divorce one's spouse for any little cause? Like if she burns the meal? And that's not what they're doing because they're trying to trip Jesus up. They're trying to make him look strict and foolish and cruel and different than the culture different than themselves. Rabbi Hillel and Akiba are probably there. Or rabbis like them. 
And we know that it doesn't mean any little cause. We mean that, know that it means any big cause, not only for that, but the, for the way the people respond when Jesus finishes his teaching. They get it, and they say, wow. And so they come, any cause, one that seems really valid. Lord, you don't know what I'm going through. How can you ask me to show this type of love in this type of situation? And again, the Lord's will for you is not to just endure that like a punching bag. If you need help, you get out. But Jesus is going to explain his teaching. That was what's prescribed for even a bad situation is not divorce. Jesus takes the opportunity initially to teach what marriage is. In verse 4, he answered, Have you not read? Don't you guys know? They're Pharisees. They've prided themselves on knowing the law of the Lord. And they asked this question, and Jesus said, Haven't you heard? Haven't you read? You think you're so smart? How do you not know this? He says, haven't you read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That's why we say when we take our vows, for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, because we think godly love is here, but it's actually here. Well, God has joined together. Let not man separate. In other words, what God has honored before that commitment, let people not break that commitment. Again, if Jesus, if you need to be faithful to your vows from afar, that would be the prescription. But Jesus says, no. No. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus says, no. And they said to him, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Do you know more than Moses? And Jesus responds, it was not prescribed, it was described. He said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. When God created marriage, when he created Adam and Eve, This is not what God intended. The reason why people get divorced, why Moses allowed people to do it and said, all right, fine, we're not going to force you to live together, is because of the hardness of the heart. It's rebellion against God. We are so sinful. If people were naturally godly, divorce wouldn't be a thing. But because of our rebellion towards God, you look at it and you say, well, we can't force them to be together. This is awful. All right. Then in this situation, we'll do this. But in God's will, that's not what he wants. His love for us is up here. And he asks us to show that same love to others. And Jesus says, and I say to you, and he repeats his teaching again. He doesn't back down on it. He doesn't give exceptions for it. Whoever divorces his wife, even the Johnsons, even the Smiths, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. 
So he says, everybody. Now, if you've noticed both times in there, and I haven't gotten to it yet, he gives a clause, and it's not an escape clause. It's an explanation. Except for sexual immorality, the reason why if divorce in a situation doesn't cause adultery, it would be because the sexual immorality has already caused it. And it's not the divorce that causes the sexual immorality. It's not the divorce that causes the adultery. That's already happened. And so it's not an escape clause. In the Lord's heart, in his desire, in his ideal will, even people who commit sexual immorality against each other would repent, would grow to love each other, and would be reconciled. There's a simple principle that the Lord reconciles. That is his heart. That's why Jesus came. And Satan divides. Satan wants you to be divided from your spouse. Satan wants you to be divided from your children. He wants you to be divided from your church. And he ultimately wants you to be be divided from God. And the Lord wants to reconcile and fix all of those things. And so if we're to have godly love, no matter what the situation, we're to always be the one who's willing to reconcile no matter what. Again, that doesn't mean that you stay in the situation. But if you need to, you become faithful from afar and do what you can do and pray to the God who has all of the power in the world that they, God would change the situation and the Holy Spirit would fill the person that you were with to the point where you can reconcile with them again. And if you've ever been served divorce papers, sometimes I've had people say, but I've got to get my kids out of the situation. I can't do that unless we go through with the paperwork. Sin puts no one in easy situations. Sin creates no winners. And if you're in that situation, sign the papers. But know that it hasn't changed in God's eyes. What's important is not the papers. And we want the papers to match because we want to have a witness of Jesus Christ in our life. We want what happens, what is explained out here to be reflecting what's going on in here and what's gone up there. But sin creates no easy situations and no winners. And no matter what the paperwork says, the Lord knows your commitment to your spouse. And that's why he calls it adultery. And there we get to the last line of the verse. That's why he describes it as adultery. Because even if people try to separate what God has joined, it's not effective. And therefore, when we go into another situation, that is adultery. God reconciles. And Satan divides. And Jesus asks us, to show that same principle, if you want to be without sin, this is the principle that we're to show. You thought it was here, but it was up here. Jesus describes what marriage is supposed to be in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What was Jesus not willing to give up for the church? He gave it all. For our sin, he gave it all. 
for your sin. He gave it all. He never quit. He never said, I will not forgive you anymore. If you do six sins, that's it. If you do 14 sins, that's it. If you do 70 times seven sins, that's it. That's not what God has. Godly love shows unending forgiveness. We're to love our spouse as Jesus loved us, and that's what makes divorce a sin. Because divorce says, I won't wait for you anymore, while Jesus is perfectly patient for you. Divorce says, I won't forgive you anymore. Well, there's nothing that you could do that would stop Jesus' forgiveness for you. There's nothing that you could do that could separate you from the love of God. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the power of sin in your life is broken. And whatever sins you commit that come from a repentant heart who has faith in the Lord does not have power to separate you from the God who loves you, ever. That's how faithful God is to you. That is incredible love. What amazing love. And you think the call to love is hard, you aren't the only one. As we're reading through the passage, Jesus revealed that none of us have kept that type of love. And when Jesus taught that this is the type of love we're to have, the disciples get it. They look at Jesus and they say, if this is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry When I do marital counseling to to people, I say, this is the commitment we're making. For better or for worse, till death do us part. And if I teach you on marriage and you come away saying anything other than it's better for us not to do this, I haven't taught you like Jesus taught people. Now, the disciples interpret it wrong because they're selfish. And they say, they get it wrong. They say, but Jesus, look at the suffering this opens us up to. What vulnerability. It's better not to have that type of vulnerability. I can't take that. I can't do that. I would never put myself in that type of situation. If godly love is up here, I don't want to try to show that love to other people. What a sacrifice. That's why we know the Pharisees meant any cause. Even causes that would seem perfectly justified. If Jesus taught that we could end our marriages, I would bring you that passage. Instead, what he says is that divorce is a sin. And what sin does is it separates us from God. And how we're reconciled is through repentance and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. I went to, uh, in my internship, I went to a forgiveness training at a senior center. And you see what happens to people that don't forgive. I was amazed that all these people signed up for this forgiveness training. And they came, and I sat under this guy named Pastor Gary. He was this incredible guy. And he sat there, and he'd listen to their stories and how they were hurt. And every single person was hurt by serious sin. And he said... In the Lord's heart, it's for you to forgive them. And it was amazing the reactions that people give. But you don't know what they did to me. 
you don't know how they hurt me. And Pastor Gary said, well, godly love forgives. And it's better for you to forgive. And it's better for them to forgive. Jesus forgives you. And you will understand Jesus' love for you more if you forgive. Dave gave an example the other day. He said, beggars come into his life. And they were so rude. He gave them money. They were so rude, they said, give me more. And Dave just was, you're completely undeserving of this gift. What bold-faced, shameless audacity. And he said, God told him that he brings people in our life like this to remind us of our situation and condition before him. Now, you might be sitting there today and you might say, I know what I could have done better in my marriage. I gave this much. I could have given more. I know what I have to repent of. Or you might be sitting there saying, I gave. Lord, I gave so much. You'll understand the Lord's love for you better. Your spouse might be completely undeserving of your patience and forgiveness, but that's how we are towards God. Why is divorce a sin? What are we repenting of? In every relationship, as time goes on, on a timeline of a relationship, sin just builds and builds and builds. And since we're not perfectly Christ-like, people have a breaking point. Your breaking point might be here, it might be there, it might be there. Your breaking point might be a lot bigger than mine. Mine might be this big, you might be that big. But in every relationship, when there's a breaking point, that is unchristlike. It's different than a boundary. A boundary is drawn to protect people, and for good reasons, a breaking point says that I will cease to honor my commitment before you. I will cease to show you the forgiveness that God offers me. Even if you were to repent, I won't accept it. Even if I have to wait for it, I'm not going to do that. I've reached it. And there is revealed the difference between our love, between human love and Jesus' love. There's a difference between us and Jesus' love, and that is what needs to be repented of. And why talk about this? Why does Jesus talk about this? Why does he want to revisit the situation of, of your greatest pain, of your greatest hurt? And when Jesus talks, why doesn't he talk about the sin of your spouse towards you? I think it's because when you stand before the Lord, he won't judge you for the sin of your spouse towards you. You're not responsible for that sin. When you, people experience incredible healing through their faith, through the, from the wrongs that have been done to them in this world, but when we stand before the Lord and we stand before him face to face, we'll experience that love fully. We'll have healing. God wants that healing for you. And for you to experience that healing, what he needs to address is your sin. Your spouse's sin won't separate you from Jesus. That means when Jesus talks to you, it's more important that he talk about yours because he loves you more than the rules 
And he wants to forgive you for the ways that you've broken them so you can experience that healing. If you're sitting there today, you're saying, I can't, I can't take it. I can't take it anymore. That sounds like torture. That sounds like absolute torture. I'm caught between trying to honor, to honor my commitment and faithfulness to my spouse. Like, I can't do it. That sounds like absolute torture. You know what that, you know what that sounds exactly like? Jesus' love for you. In the garden, he cries and he weeps. He says, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Now, we're not Jesus. I can never encourage you to get a divorce. I can never encourage you to break that commitment. But what I can practically give you is the good news. If out of a faithful and a repentant heart towards the Lord, you have given it all you have, then the Lord has forgiveness for you. Your love might be here. Your love might be there. And it's torture. But Jesus' love is here. He knows the torture. It's our sin that nailed every nail into his hands. It's our sin that nailed every thorn into his head. And Jesus has that incredible love for you. If you've been divorced, if you want to get divorced, look at the love of God that he has for you and be in awe. What love he has. How much greater he is than I am. How much worthier he is than praise than I am. We come into church thinking we're righteous and we're justified. And then we look at the love of Jesus and we say, I'm nowhere near it. He's worthy of my praise. Divorce breaks God's rules. And we've all broken God's rules in one way or another. The love that I've been able to give my wife is pales in comparison. It's an embarrassment compared to the love that Jesus has for her. And Jesus comes because he loves me more than the rules I've broken. He says, do not think I've come to abolish the law. If you abolish the law, you get rid of Jesus' love for you because he forgives you something that's not important at all. But if you understand the law, if you understand what God has forgiven you of, you understand the incredible love that God has for you because he didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it in your place on your behalf. Jesus is faithful in your place. When you repent of your sin, you get Jesus' faithfulness, and you are made right with God. My love might be here. Your love might be there. Somebody else is there. Jesus is all the way, 100%. And he gives that to you when you repent, and you are made right with God because Jesus loves you more than the rules.